Lacrosse All-Stars presents In Your Face Cast, Unfiltered opinions on the most controversial topics in the game of lacrosse. I'm Ryan Dennehy, former Division I college and pro player and Division I college coach, currently living and coaching in the city of Philadelphia. I'm joined with my co-host, Andy Towers, the legend, former Division I college head coach, MLL All-Star, three-time All-American, and arguably the best to ever play the midfield position. Each show, we dive into the world of lacrosse from high school, college, to pro, as well as bring on special guests. You can subscribe to us via iTunes and check us out on Twitter at InYourFaceLax for more information. Enjoy the show. AT the lacrosse world suffered another tragic loss this past weekend. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the Blatt family and their entire and the entire lacrosse program at Georgetown. Um, Eddie Blatt's starting junior defenseman for the Hoyas died early Sunday morning. As many may speculate, all indications of the cause of death are not good. I'm sure in the coming days more of the story will come out, and I hope it's the case, I hope that's the case because as terrible of a story it is, lessons can always be learned from it. Uh, But from a bird's eye perspective, and I know, A.T., you've mentioned this before, this is by far the worst nightmare for any coach um, is getting that phone call on a Sunday morning. Yeah, you know, usually usually the fear for the coaches is that your players got, you know, in trouble either drinking or getting in a fight or, you know, some sort of, you know, relatively speaking, minor problem in the grand scheme of things. You know, this is beyond any coach's, any parent's worst nightmare. Uh, you know, all I've heard is phenomenal things about Eddie Blatz. I know he was obviously a great player, great athlete, great person, great student. I think it's just a reminder in the hyper-competitive world that we are in that it's just, uh, you know, it's just, Lacrosse is just not that important, you know. It it it, it can serve to enhance life, uh, but you know when you factor in something of this magnitude, it just uh, it snaps everybody into reality, and hopefully, and I'm confident that it will unify, you know, all reaches of the sport. It's just a really really tragic day and a really really sad chapter. Um, you know, in this sport. And, and, you know, it's just a reminder to value every opportunity that you have waking up every day and to, uh, you know, take advantage of, of everything in front of you. So it's just really, really sad. It's just heartbreaking, really. It is. Um, if you're a college kid and you're listening to this podcast, you have to take responsibility of your friends and their actions. It's not enough to say it's college, let it happen, or he can decide for himself. If you see something that you know is wrong or more or less maybe crossing the line, seek the guidance of your other friends and show them your concern. If you built up any credibility in your life or built up enough respect within your group of friends, they will listen to you. And once you do, step up and say something. Be the voice of reason. Look, it's it's 2016 and it's not an easy world to live in, as you just mentioned, A.T., when it comes to peer pressure and the millions of different angles of temptations out there. And no one's saying that it's easy. But your duty is to help out. 
um, and your friends are counting on you in times of need, whether they know they need it or not, uh, they're looking for your help. And maybe a conversation could have saved a life on Saturday night. Maybe not. Uh, but I'm very sure we'd all love to live a life of no regrets. And I'm very sure that the feeling will weigh in on his teammates for the rest of their lives. And it's probably the second saddest part of the entire story. When we come back, uh, we're going to do a recap of the weekend. We've got a big show coming up, uh, but we'll be right back. AT, we're Friday Night Scores. Duke manhandles Marquette 16 1. Navy beats Sacred Heart 7 1. Weird. Two goals in two games. To one on. Right. Holy Cross ends BU season for the second year in a row. I kind of chuckle at that, and I don't mean to. I, I like Poli and his crew, and I got a you know late text from Poli. You know, infuriating, <laughs> infuriated by <laughs> the same result two years in a row. Um, you got to hit at the Holy Cross, though. You know, we had talked about them over the course of the year. They played in a couple of rock bottom yeah. bowls, which, yes. you know, to, to play in more than one rock bottom bowl over the course of the season, <laughs> to lose as many one goal games as Holy Cross did over the course of the year, you know, we knew that their offense was dangerous. We knew that they could at any time turn it on, and they certainly did that with a late season 12 6 victory over Colgate. Once you picked Colgate, I picked Holy Cross in that yep. game. Yep. And then, sure enough, they come back, and Holy Cross is playing their best down the stretch of the season. And I think that, you know, they have to be taken very, very seriously. This is a credit to Judd Lattimore and his staff. You know, to get these guys to stay focused, stay unified, realize that they're still playing for everything. All of their goals are still in front of them. It's so true. They really are. You know, they can go and they can win, you know, the Patriot League tournament. Will they do it? I don't think they're going to do it, but they could do it. And, you know, remember, they played some very, very close games. They played Loyola, which we all feel, I believe, Loyola Navy, but I personally feel like... Loyola right now is playing the best of any of the teams and has to be considered the front runner in the Patriot League tournament. You know, they played Loyola March 5th, lost only 10-9. You know, it's not not totally unrealistic to think that Holy Cross, you know, if they continue to play better and better, can win on Tuesday and then come back and scare the shit out of you on Friday. Yeah. Sorry, Connor. I know we're not supposed to swear, but it's big. (laughs) In that situation, you know, frankly, I I would love to see them, uh, you know, make a push here. And it speaks to the parity of Division I lacrosse. It speaks to the amount that the sport has spread over the course of, you know, recent years. And it speaks to, you know, how quality of a job that Judd Lattimore and his staff have done particularly on the stretch. It's not easy keeping people, yeah. you know, uh, appreciative of going to practice every day, especially seniors and upperclassmen that have, you know, two, three weeks before, you know, jobs. their college lacrosse career is done, and yet they've found a way to do it, and to their credit, they've earned, you know, an opportunity to keep their season going. So 
Good luck to Holy Cross. I'd love to see them get it done tonight. As would I. Uh, Bucknell, they play Bucknell at home. Uh, we're going to do picks, uh, midweek picks, just because it's uh, playoff time. So we have what the rhymes. Yeah, now it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Bucknell <laughs> Lehigh at the same time wasn't a one goal game. You would have thought that that would have been another very close matchup, as it always is historically, and it wasn't. But it brings us to the Loyola Army game uh, that you would have thought have been closer, but it really wasn't. Pat Spencer is two and four. Two and four. Zach Hairwires, 5-0, led the Greyhounds over Army in a very big Patriot League matchup. I'm pretty sure that secured the number one seed for Loyola. Am I correct on that when I'm saying that? I thought, Loyola, I thought Navy was the number one seed. Having oh, yeah, that's Loyola right. head-to-head to That's nine. right, that's right, that's right. So I picked that a, you pick Loyola, that just, just to walk down memory lane for the listeners. <laughs> I, I, I did, <laughs> well, guarantee Loyola the, um, the buy, which is yes. the all-important buy. Critical. Um, uh, you know, so many different questions come out of this. Um, you know, certainly the game itself, but uh, I'll let you speak to the game. How, how, how did you think this one came up? I watched the game, and I was frankly, I wasn't surprised to see Loyola win. I thought Loyola would win. I told Jamie Hanford, uh, you know, that day that I thought Loyola would win, uh, but I, I thought it would be a much tighter game. Same here. It just, you know, it, the difference in the game was Loyola's ground ball play. Right. And their goalie play. Right. You know, you look at Jacob Stover. I think he's 6-0 and now as a starter. 12 saves, 66% save percentage versus A.J. Beretta, who's also a stud goalie. But A.J. was just 8 saves and 42%. That's the difference in the game. That and the ground ball. You know, did Loyola have, you know, out GB'd Army 34-25, to 25, yet they split at the X. Right. So that goes to show you that Loyola out-Army'd Army. Right. You know, I mean, that's, that's what they did. And... You know, no one's done a better job. Well, Bill Tierney maybe has, but Charlie Toomey and his staff, those guys are right up there with the very, very best coaches in the country. Yeah. And they got to feel good about their position going into the Patriot League tournament, as you said, with the bye. Um, you know, I, 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 I think they're going to win the Patriot League and get the AQ to go with it. I really do. Harry Wires has... 12 goals in the last three games, obviously five coming um, against Army. My question to you, A.T., is Pat Spencer of Loyola a teamer in his freshman year? This he's got to be. You know, he's, he's, he's the Patriot League Rookie of the Year, the Patriot League Offensive Player of the Year. You know, he's, he's not stepping in to a catch-and-finish position. You know, it's one thing to come in as a freshman and have a simple role. Right. Uh, you know, it's another thing to come in and be the quarterback of an offense that's, you know, two years removed from a national championship as a freshman and get that done the way that he's got it done. I was really glad to see that the postseason awards for the Patriot League awarded a freshman the player of the year because he clearly deserved it. Right. And I just think that it's it. it, it the, the Division One game is such a difference. I think it's a two-step difference from high school lacrosse. You know, high school lacrosse, your best players, they dodge offensively. They dodge. The slide comes. They throw it because there's no secondary into their buddy, and their buddy scores. <laughs> and you start to see, you know, big-time points for a couple different styles of players, the feeders and the finishers. Yeah. You know, Division One lacrosse, the defenses are so much better because the coaches – are coaching for their livelihood and for their the family's quality of lives, that they turn playmakers. They, well, I should say, they turn feeders into goal scorers. They turn goal scorers into feeders, and to make the transition 
in a six-on-six situation where, you know, you're not dodging and feeding. You know, in most cases, the secondary slides are pushing the primary slides, and you're dodging. You have to see if the primary or the secondary slide is there. If it's not, you have to be disciplined enough to not force it in, yep. hit the outlet, and have the outlet exploit that five-on-four opportunity before the defense can recover and make it six-on-six six again. Yep. And so when you factor the amount of different things in play, uh, you know, uh, the job that Pat Spencer has done, I don't think there's any question about it. Now, is he a first-teamer? No, he's not a first-teamer. Is he a second-teamer? Yeah. Probably not. But I, I believe him to be a top-12 attackman in the country. And, and, and you factor in that he's a freshman. He might not get hooked up politically at the end of the day. But I believe that he is a... You know, a teamer. I, I really do. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Let's say, uh, let's say Connor Carazaro, let's say Ben Reeves, and let's say Dylan Malloy are the three top tier, right? Would you argue with that, AT, as first teamers? No, I, I, certainly okay. not Conazero, certainly not Dylan Malloy. I think Ben Reeves is is there. I saw him play, you know, a few weeks ago at, at Brown and certainly thought he was worthy of that. You know, let's see how it continues to shake out. I'm not positive Steve Pontrello hasn't moved into that equation as well. Um, but at this point, I feel comfortable with those okay. guys too. So even if, uh, so like you mentioned, okay, maybe you could argue Pontrello but moving in for Ben Reeves and maybe they even give a fourth spot, right? They've been doing that lately. Who are the next four to get second team if, if what you said, Pat Spencer, is not a second teamer? That is my question. Does he get well, second I team owner? I, I think you have to look at Devin Dwyer, who's had a great year for Harvard. Now, Harvard hasn't had a great year uh, record-wise, but to their credit, they've continued to play hard, yep. and they qualified for the Ivy League tournament. And with Kevin Jehelka coming back, or Steve Jehelka coming back, I'm sorry, they're going to be a scary team for an Ivy League team yep. uh, to play. So I would think you'd have to consider Devin Dwyer in the conversation. Cole Johnson's had a great year at Army. Uh, you know, someone under the radar that doesn't get enough credit, Connor Fields at Albany yep. has had a great year, Absolutely. and they are quietly the number five team in the country. Jake Forcaro started off on fire. Uh, has cooled off recently, um, but Jake Forcaro, I think halfway through the season, we all would have said he would have been a no-brainer first-team All-American with Dylan Malloy and Connor Conzero. So, um, yeah, it's great. You know, point. I, I, great I, point, I, I think there's, I think there's a few different guys that can come into play here. Um, so those, those would be. My and that point. was off. That was off the cuff. I didn't, I didn't have that question posed to you. I'm sure we're missing guys, and we're going to get hounded on Twitter if we are, and, and I hope we are. I hope we do. Um, but Pat Spencer, that would move Pat Spencer uh, clearly into the third team, um, but debatable second team. But I like, I like your reasoning there. The other Friday night game, Rutgers, Penn State, probably the biggest Big Ten game of the year. Um, in terms of one, the play and what Penn State needed needed this victory bad, uh, couldn't get it. But Rutgers and Penn State exchanged six to one quarters in the first half. Uh, Jules Henningberger, Henningberg, no er at the end. Six and two on the day. Scott Beta three and three. Scott has been incredible for Rutgers all year round. Uh, four and one for Aponte, who's still playing well this year. And Grant DeMet with two and three back to his usual self when Penn State can get him involved in the offense. Another freshman attackman, by the way. Uh, they yep. can score goals at will. Uh, what did you think on this one, AT? I also watched part of this game. I was just blown away by how much heart Rutgers has. 
you know, we knew that their offense could put up big numbers when we saw them beat Johns Hopkins, you know, midweek, yep. two, three weeks ago. I think they beat them 16 to nine, something like that. Um, I, I obviously Scott Bieta was a known entity coming into the season. I'm blown away by this guy, Jules Hennenberg, six and two in this game. And he plays like a club player. You know, he's so savvy with the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the play that really stuck out for me is when Rutgers took a shot. It was a save. You know, Hennenberg was at X. He ran around. He he intercepted, you know, the outlet, caught it, threw it in. And he's just, he seems, while he plays with unbelievable passion, he seems very unimpressed with himself. You know, and it just looks to me like he looks like, you know, a club player in 1996. He's <laughs> just very, very casually seems to win, you know, a lot of the plays that he's involved with. Um, so I, I was blown away by by that kid. That was the first time I'd actually seen him play live for an extended period of time. Brian Brecht has to be in the running for National Coach of the Year. You know, just two years ago, I think that they were like 2-12. and 12 He and, got suspended. You know, he, he had gotten suspended. And for him to bounce back and take a team that we all have felt over the years has had the resources to be a successful Correct. program, Correct. yet has never, ever really – seemed to play up to its respective potential, you know, since the Andy DeSico, Steve Luciano, Greg Rinaldi years in the, you know, Delby, early to mid-90s. Hollis and uh, Havlicek, they had a good run in 03, yeah, they had, they 02, had a good, 04. They had a good year or two, yeah. right? But 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 this team now is, is look, I had them as a pick this weekend against Penn State coming into this game. Um, you know, I didn't have them beating Johns Hopkins a few weeks ago, but they did. You know, they they had Maryland up. You know, they're they're really really scary. Right. And Coach Brecht has these kids believing that they can beat anybody on game day. Um, overall, I didn't think the goalie play was very strong in this game, but Elaine was better down the stretch. It seemed like he had you know two or three really big important saves in what was you know a game that was going back and forth as Rutgers sort of mounted its comeback in the fourth quarter, and then. You know, again, you look at Penn State wins four more faceoffs, yet Rutgers wins the ground ball battle by seven. Yeah. It just shows you that Rutgers is playing very, very hard between the lines. It's a, they've always been that way. They've always been kind of a blue-collar mentality, beat-you-up type team. Um, but now they have the offensive end to go with it and certainly a staff that has done a phenomenal job getting these kids to believe in their mission. So a credit to Brian Brecht, a credit to their players, uh, I'm looking forward to watching these guys play. They they got Ohio State next week at Ohio State, who they beat 17 to 10 in 2015 last year, and I just think that I think they're going to go in there and I think they're going to pound Ohio State. That's what I think is going to happen. As much as Ohio State is probably looking at that game, saying, you know what, we got you this year, you know, you beat us last year, you're not going to sneak up on us this year. I just think Rutgers has too much momentum going into the Big Ten tournament. I like them to beat OSU at OSU, um, you know, but but Penn State. They play at Michigan. They're still, you know, open. Yeah. You know, they they. But I and I think even though they've lost, I think three one goal games in a row, something like that down the stretch. Penn State's playing at a very high level. They haven't been able to get that W when they've wanted it, um, but they still have a ton to play for. They play at Michigan. They beat them, and they own a head to head victory six five over Ohio State, which we watched on Sunday a few weeks back. So Penn State is still very much involved. It's going to be interesting to see what happens between Hopkins and Maryland this weekend. That will dictate, obviously, you know, who plays who. But I think that any one of these four teams can win the Big Ten AQ. 
Um, and, and frankly, I'd love it to see. I'd, I'd love it. I'd love to see Rutgers do it. I mean, what a story that would it be. Would. Eight goals on 17 shots in the second half. That will get you a W, especially when Penn State plays sloppy as they did in that second quarter. Next game, I think we all saw this one. UNC versus Notre Dame. You called it, AT, a couple weeks back, I believe. Not yep. just in our yep. picks. But you called it a couple weeks back when you, had, uh, you thought UNC was going to beat Notre Dame. Uh, I did not think so. Uh, and up until about 10 minutes left in the game, I was sitting there, oh, with a nice six-goal, five-goal coach. Getting right ready there. to push send on your yeah. back. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, but, man, what a complete implosion. Um, you know, I don't think anyone had the game thought out the way it happened, and it sucks for anyone betting on the line with Notre Dame at a two-and-a-half-goal favorite up by five with nine minutes left to go. Uh, to go. Um, but Notre Dame, for the first time I think I've ever seen them implode the way they did, let up a 7-0 run, and UNC takes it. Ridiculous. And you've got to look at Stephen Kelly at the faceoff X in this second half. Uh, He was 19-35 all day. He was 7-10 of in the fourth quarter. Uh, what, What a crazy fourth quarter I've ever seen. Uh, especially against a defense like Notre Dame, what were your thoughts? Uh, first of all, I did call this, and I love the outcome. Look, Notre Dame's going to be back. I, 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 I love to watch Notre Dame play. I'm really impressed with their coaching staff, what they've done. They've seemingly gotten a little bit better each year over the last, I think, six, seven years. So Notre Dame, this is, this is uh, you know, while a tough loss for them to handle, they're going to be back, as we know. Uh, most importantly, I couldn't be happier for Joe Bresci and his staff, but particularly for Joe, who has, you know, resurrected this program. Let's not forget when Joe Bresci took this program over from John Hawes, they were so far in the basement at UNC that they hadn't won ACC games in years. And he came in and made dramatic and obvious changes to the culture of the program and has done an exceptional job recruiting, only to get criticized by, you know, those folks out there that seem to have, you know, uh, something out for early recruiting, blah, 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 blah. And I don't think Joe early recruits any more than five or six other coaches that are at the very top of this profession. Petro and Tillman are by recruit. far the worst in the... Listen, it, it is, you know, worst or best. Right, I don't right, know. Right, right. I mean, the goal is to get the best players and the best people in your program and I think that, you know, that's part of resurrecting a program into a national championship uh, team. And I think that, you know, you have to have that foundation built. And he's had immense success in recruiting, which speaks to his credibility as a person. You're not going to get parents that are going to sign up to send their, you know, sons to a lacrosse factory. They're sending him to they're sending their sons to somebody that they believe will watch over them as people and as students and ultimately as athletes in that order. And I firmly believe that Joe Bresci is one of the best people in the sport at doing that. And the wins ultimately will be a derivative of his ability to do that over time. And this is a game that Notre Dame, or North Carolina has typically lost in the last few years. And for them to come back after being down, as you said, you know, big going into the fourth quarter. I think Notre Dame was up 14 to 9 going in, and that got outscored 8 to 1 down the stretch. Just get such a monkey off the back 
of Joe Bresci and the North Carolina kids in the program in general and shows that they can step up and perform when it's needed. This was against the number one team in the country. Yep. You know, as you mentioned, Stephen Kelly, what a stud, you know, down the stretch. It's not like Stephen Kelly either is controlling a lot of these balls off the X. He's grinding out scrap victories after the other guys control a lot right. of them. And, you know, for him to go 7-10, and 1-1 one one in the game, ultimately stick the winner on a lefty bomb right, right. In the, right in the corner. My son James, who's an 8-year, looked up at me and goes, he goes, that's hard to put in the corner when you shoot that overhand. <laughs> and I said, I, I agree. I wouldn't know I never shot overhand. <laughs> um, you know, but but what a performance by Stephen Kelly. As you said, what a performance. Luke Goldstock, Steve Pontrello, 4-2. and two. You know, uh, I think what we're really starting to see here, particularly over the last three weeks, is the impact of the hiring of Dave Metzbauer, arguably the best offensive mind this sport has seen. And if if they continue to gel on Metz's end, under uh, you know, on the offense, and Stephen Kelly continues to perform his best during the biggest games, I just like Carolina. Uh, more and more as we get through the end of April and into May. I'd love to see North Carolina Brown in the national championship. Selfishly, that would be uh, that would be a great, and it's not unrealistic based on the way that the heels are playing currently, and certainly the way that Brown is playing. Um, this was a great step towards returning a national championship to North Carolina. I was really happy for Joe Bresci. Not to mention a little sidecar RD. Uh, my boy Dennis Goldstein was down there as a member of the undefeated 1991 national championship teams. This was, this game was played, this comeback was played in front of the 1991, 1992, 1986, and 1991 national championship team members that returned to Chapel Hill to watch this game. Couldn't draw up <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, here's the thing. This is the only thing I'm going to say. As I think you're right. I think UNC is definitely playing well down the stretch. I think they've. this is a big win that they haven't done in recent years. But the problem is, is it's still a regular season. And the next problem they're going to have to do in the hurdle of, you know, and I know they won an ACC championship, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. But the big hurdle that, you know, no one really cares so much about UNC performing in the regular season the way they have or even in the ACC tournament, because that is it's a 50-50 you know, toss-up every single year. Uh, I think their hang-up is, is where has UNC been in the Final Four? And, and that's the big hang-up for a lot of people. And it's my hang-up, too. It's, I, I, I agree. I can't agree with you anymore. But can this team take, you know, get, get that the true monkey on their back is winning a quarterfinal uh, national tournament game. Um, agree. And, Let's wait and, and see. And we will. Now, second part is there's some sort of byline. Uh, Kavanaugh, uh, did something happen at the end of the game at, with Kavanaugh? You know, I didn't see anything. I watched the game. I didn't see anything. I, I had, you know, I, I had read that there was something. Um, but I'm not... I'm not going to comment because I simply don't know. Uh, frankly, uh, I I hope that there was nothing, and I hope that Kavanaugh is in uniform and ready to play against Duke on Friday night. I just want to see all of the best players in the country playing, you know, uh, their best down the stretch of these seasons. That's what that's what makes the game the most fun to watch, and he's certainly one of the most exciting players. Yeah, we to don't watch. want a Zach Courier situation. That's for sure. 
Uh, next game, no. Air Force versus Richmond. Did you know that the Air Force Falcons have the longest win streak in Division One lacrosse? It is currently sits at number 12. Uh, bottom line is I think Air Force is a scary team to play. You never know what they have in store for you. Plus, being the little brother service academy, they have a chip on their shoulder every single time they get on the field. But are these guys contenders or are they pretenders? 17 turnovers will get Richmond in this one. Uh, partly due yeah. to Air Force's inability to clear the ball. Uh, Doug Gaucho had a nice game in case of 12 saves. He's been great all year. Um, but is Air Force the real deal? Um, or is this just, you know, a great run by Air Force that's soon to end once they play consistent teams of, you know, RPI and strength and schedule caliber? Um, and on top of that, who takes the SOCON here? AT, what were your thoughts? You know, this is about exactly how I thought the game would play out. I thought I did. I you know, I knew Richmond's best player was hurt, um, and so that certainly affects the outcome of the game. But I wasn't surprised to see Air Force win the game. I think Air Force has proved it's the best team in the SoCon. Um, you know, we're going to find out what happens in the SoCon tournament. They're going to have to manage it. I think the, all indications are that Air Force is going to be playing Bellarmine and Richmond is going to be playing High Point. Frankly, I think High Point's going to beat Richmond this time around, and I think Air Force is going to beat Bellarmine. I, I would love to see High Point win the SoCon tournament again, but I think Air Force has proved that it is the best team in the SoCon. I think Air Force is very, very worthy of their national ranking. Let's face it. You know, they've won, as you said, 12 games in a row. Uh, you know, they beat Duke at Duke. And they beat Richmond, who's a very, very good team, who also beat Duke. We just saw what Duke did to Marquette, 16-1. to And, you know, this is, a, this, is, this is a scary team. They do have to clean it up a little bit. I mean, 12 for 17 on the clears is not going to get it done. 17 turnovers, I believe you said, in the game is not going to get it done. Um you know, but Air Force was three for three on extra man. Richmond just two for five. You know, they got out to a good head start, and it was enough to hold them off. They were up by twelve goal, or sorry, up by five goals twice in the game. Uh, and, and and the Air Force goalie outplayed, you know, Richmond's goalie by a little bit. Twelve saves to nine. Sixty save, sixty save percent versus fifty save right. percent. Um, you know, I think I think Air Force to answer your question, I think they're absolutely uh, contenders. You know, let's look. There are only two losses this year, Rye, are at Navy, first game of the year. They lost 10-6, to and we know Navy is a very, very good good team. Their other loss is Denver at home. Not a bad team, Ryan. <laughs> and they only lost 10-9, and they were up late in the game. Denver had to, had to come back to gut that out. Of course, Bill Tierney found a way to do it. But the fact is, is that this is, this is a very, very legitimate threat to uh, you know, the traditional powerhouses. But they got to get out of the SOCON tournament first, and um, that's not going to be easy. Now, Albany versus Yale. Yale, interesting late season right now. They're showing some serious signs of struggle in some of the most important aspects of the game. One save in seven goals against in the first half, and then 14 of 30 at the faceoff X, which you and I have been mentioning all year, has been an Achilles heel for Yale. Um, and, and it was against a team who really hasn't found an answer to their problem at the faceoff no. X either. Um, I, I just feel like Yale has got to figure it out, and it doesn't get any easier because... 
you know, Michael Quinn, we have those questions too. Is he, is he, is he, could he be done for the season? He's got a knee injury. No one really knows at this point. It could be really bad. Um, but I also think on the other half, you, know, you got Yale, uh, but on the other half, you got Albany. And I think the experience factor is starting to kick in for Albany. They're playing with confidence, not that they've never played with confidence before, but these guys are used to high pressure, you know, high pressure scenarios, high pressure stage, uh, big environment games, especially after the Thompson era. And with only Lyle being the last Thompson and the only Thompson to play, allowed guys like Oaks and Fields invaluable experience to play in big games. Um, so many different questions, but what's in the scoop? What's his, what's the scoop with Yale? Is, Har- is Michael Quinn done? I don't really know. They've got Harvard next. And can Albany get to a Final Four or, say, the quarterfinals without the Thompsons? That's insane to think about. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, this, this, this result doesn't, doesn't shock me too much. You know, I think, and that, it's not a negative Yale. You could, as you know, right. I, I, we couldn't be any more positive Yale. Um, but I, you got to hand it to Scott Moore. I just love the way that he goes about coaching his guys. You know, not not too differently than the way Lars does at Brown, although they're sort of different personalities. Where Lars is, you know, uh, high, high, high energy. Scotty Moore is, you know, uh, high passion but sort of a, a mellower personality. And it, it, you, you feel like their team takes on that sort of mellow confidence that Scotty Marr exudes as a person and played with as a player and now seems to be able to get his players to play with that sort of silent swagger. Uh, I, I love it. As you said before, Connor Fields 3-5, and five, Seth Oaks 4-1. and one. Uh, you know, one of the very, very best players in the country that doesn't get enough credit is Blaze Reardon. 14 saves, 52% save percentage in this game, a one-goal game against a very, very scary offense that Yale, you know, brings to the field when they come to play. You know, but you look at Yale's team, and, and they've got, you know, major issues in the cage. Uh, and and major issues, major issues with faceoff X, you know, which is which is kind of sad because I think that their offense and their defense are right there Superior. with the very best in the country. But yeah. these two sort of secondary areas of the game are going to be what I think will ultimately do Yale in in 2016. Let's pray to God that Michael Quinn is going to be okay. You know, he's been a four-year stud for Yale, a certain first-team All-American. You know, I'm not so sure he isn't the best defenseman in the country. Um, Let's pray that he's able to come back. Um, If it's not at Harvard this weekend, let's hope it's for the Ivy League tournament the following weekend. Let's hope he's got more lacrosse to play, you know, this spring because he is one of the best players in the game. Um, you know, the stats were very even as we would expect in an overtime game, but I think you just have to look at the difference in the goaltending as, as, as the difference in the game. Um, you know, coming up, Ivy League tournament, you know, at this point we got to see what happens with Harvard and Yale this weekend, but it appears as though Brown and Harvard are going to be playing again. Yale and Penn are going to be playing against and, 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 Strangely, it's actually a really, really great matchup if that's the way that it plays out. If Brown ends up beating Dartmouth on you know Wednesday, which I think we feel confidently, the rest <laughs> of the planet feels confidently that's going to happen. Um, you know, Harvard played Brown better than any team has 
you know, yes, the, the 11 8. Yeah, you know, with the exception of Yale, who played them, you know, to a two goal game. And of course, Penn had Yale dead in the water 9 4 in the middle of the third period. And to Yale's credit, they kept playing and ended up winning that game in overtime. Um, you know, so I, I, I still think that both Albany and Yale are locks to be in the national tournament. Um, and I think Albany has now solidified itself as, you know, a team that you have to consider is is, is a front runner to make the Final Four. I mean, you just have to. I think the only the only question we have about Albany is the faceoff X, and they've done a better job of that in April than they did in February and March. So, and certainly they ended up, you know, having an advantage, slight advantage during this game. Um, you know, it, 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 the result didn't surprise me, but but. I'm not worried about Yale, Andy Shea, and his staff will get those guys ready to play with or without Michael Quinn, but let's hope it's with Michael Quinn. You know, it's the saddest part is that, you know, and again, this is not, no no knock on Albany at all, but the saddest part would be Albany making it to a Final Four this year without Lyle Thompson. I mean, I don't think a bigger stage or a better stage for the game of lacrosse would have been for Lyle to get that W that they needed uh, I think it was against Notre Dame, right? Yeah, that was, um, they were up at thirteen to seven. Uh, but you know yeah. what? Listen, part of it, part of his legacy, Ryan, as you mentioned before, was helping you know the underclassmen, Carfield, Seth Oaks, and some other players on that roster, realize that they can play with anyone. You yeah. know, you can look down at Carolina and say, you know what? They lost, you know, Joey Sankey, you know, Jimmy Bitter. Bitter. And that team, Marcus is, you know, Holman, Marcus Holman and, and they're just not going to be the same when those guys graduate. They were, you know, four-year players, and let's face it, some of the very best players in North Carolina history. And yep. you know, they weren't able to get over the hump. Carolina goes to the Final Four. You know, I think you can look at the impact that those guys, Chad Tutton, another one, that those guys all had in helping to resurrect. You know, the realization that. They're a national cal. It's, it's one thing when people say, hey, they should be playing for a national championship every year. It's another thing when you bring players into the program and people are saying that to them and they don't quite get over the hump that they think they should be routinely getting over you know, each year. And it's just not that easy. It's not like it was in 1984. Right. You know, it's a totally different time. And there's a lot more great players, a lot more great coaches, and a lot more programs that can knock off the very best teams in the country. So um, I, I'm with you. It would probably be disappointing for the Thompsons themselves to not have, you know, the ability to play in a Final Four. But I'm sure that they will take, um, you know, some of the, the, the much-earned credit in helping get this program and the players that are currently playing believing that they can play with anybody. When we come back, players, coaches of the week. We've also got a special segment for the midweek games. We have picks. Uh, and then last, of course, we have hashtag Ask Towers. Maximize your comfort. Last segment of the show, Players of the Week. A.T., who is your Player of the Week? I already, I already know who it was. And then, I'm you know, going. When I was, going through, when I was going, going through it all, and I knew who was going to I'm be. going down to Chapel Hill. Of course. Stephen Bones Kelly, whose dad, <laughs> actually, Frankie Kelly, who worked the 1985 Cornell lacrosse camp, taught me how to face <laughs> off a long, long time ago. And it's no surprise that his son, Stephen Bones Kelly, 
is doing the job that he's doing for the Heels. As we said before, 19 for 35 at the X, including 7 of 10 in the fourth quarter, and the game-winning goal on an overhand. How does he do it, Dad? Bomb to the right <laughs> corner. Uh, over the number one team in the country, my player of the week, Stephen Bones Kelly. Awesome, awesome job. My player of the week, Connor Fields. Three and five versus Yale in a huge game that was needed to win. They needed to win in order to secure an at-large bid if they don't beat Stony Brook in the American East Championships. Uh, I do think that uh, this was a big one. They showed the experience in a game that, you know, they haven't had the win that they needed all year. Could have done it earlier this year against a team like Hughes, but I think that this game against Yale and his performance against Yale was even bigger, even if they did beat Cues earlier in the year, than Cues themselves. So uh, Connor Fields, my player of the week. AT, coach of the week. Who are you giving it to? Back to Chapel Hill. <laughs> Joe Brash. <laughs> what a win. I'm so pumped for him. And so pumped to watch the heels down the stretch of April and into May. Let's hope they go all the way to Memorial Day. Joe Brash, <laughs> what a win. 17 to 5. I'm sorry, 17 to 15 comeback win over the number one team in the country. Uh, many felt that that couldn't happen to a Notre Dame defense, yet it did on national television in front of four national championship teams from Carolina's years in the early 80s to the early 90s. Joe Bresch, Coach of the Week. My Coach of the Week, Brian Breck. Given all that he's been through over the last couple years, 80 changes, his suspension, not having great success early on in his his you know great successful career as a head coach at Siena to him getting the job at Rutgers. And I don't think anyone could have been more pumped about Brian Breck taking over that program because uh, considering Siena and what he did at Siena, you know, I don't I don't I think a lot of the coaching world gave him a lot of credit, but I don't think anyone gave him a lot of credit outside of the coaching world, certainly the media. Uh, but when he got the big-time job at Rutgers, everyone was really pumped that you can win at the non-traditional powers and still receive a, a major um, institutional um, job uh, like he did. Um, so given what he's been through, uh, and if you look at what, you know, who could have been on the hot seat in the last couple of years? It could have been right. uh, Brian Breck. But what he's done this year, and certainly uh, the big win over Penn State, what a game that was. And like you, A.T., you mentioned, uh, his team showed the grit that he obviously has um, by you know going down 6-1, then coming back 6-1, and then finishing out a gritty game. Brian Breck, my what, coach of what, the week. Deserve it. One of the great guys in the sports. I mean, they've just had, as you said, a turnstile of athletic directors. Not to mention they had a basketball coach who snaps and whips basketballs at his players. <laughs> Mike Rice. You know, <laughs> gotta love him. <laughs> Mike. I mean, wow. <laughs> no replacement for intensity, but put the basketballs back on the basketball rack, okay? They're not to throw your players. Settle down, bro. Oh, so brutal. AT, we have picks this week. Uh, Lax Great. Vegas Lions. So we weren't we weren't planning on this, but uh, this morning, Lax Vegas Lions, and we were a little late with the podcast. Apologies for everyone. We got a few tweets. I uh, appreciate everyone's uh, Steve Kiss. Steve Kiss. Yes. yes. We got to get him on. We got to <laughs> get will. Steve Kiss on. He's going to be we one will. of a kind. We will. Uh, but Lax Vegas Lions came out with Lions this morning. Uh, they have the standard top 20 games, but they also have the Patriot League playoffs. Uh, the quarterfinals, that first round. Great. So, AT, let's do this. Uh, number five, Albany. 
uh, at home against Siena, favored by seven and a half goals. Holy smokes. Is John Speck going to lose by eight or more? AT, what do you got? I love John. I know he's he's played some golden team in his life. I've beaten him on the road <laughs> a while years back. Um, listen, Albany, this is a, this is a cross-city rival. Um, seven and a half is not enough. Oh, no. To give Albany. I think Albany hangs 20. I think that Siena struggles to get to seven. Uh, so I got Albany covering in this. And I got the over at 24. I like Albany to cover and the over at 24. Well, if you've got Albany with 20 goals, I would hope that Siena scores at least four. So uh, I'm going to go with Siena here. Uh, and I'm not picking them to win the game. No. Uh, I have them in a midweek game where I think it's a little sloppier than normal. Uh, I don't think Albany's looking at this at all. I think that they're overlooking this, and I, I don't necessarily blame them. I think it's a five, six goal victory, and it's always five to six goals the entire game. I, I don't think they have a dominant face-off game enough to do what you think they're going to do, AT, which is hang 20, which is the reason why I felt like Hughes early in the year hung 20 up or whatever. They were pretty damn close against Siena, and they were pretty damn close to doing that against Albany as well. Uh, but I've got Siena covering in this one, and I also, but I also have the over, though. I think it's going to be a little bit more because I think it might be a high enough game to get over 20, uh, 24. Number 20, Bryant, entering the top 20 for the first time this season, I believe, and deservedly so. And they've, they've had some, they're obviously the best midweek team in the country. Number 20, Bryant, Favored by six goals at Sacred Heart. Uh, what do you got here, AT? Uh, you know, I love my boy Basti, but I just feel like Sacred Heart is not going to get it done. I know they're playing at home. Uh, you know, earlier in the season, I may have gone with Sacred Heart in this situation, but I just think that at this point, the coaches want to make sure that their teams continue to prove who they are as we get close to conference tournaments and into the national tournament so i don't see a letdown from albany to go back a step there and i don't see a letdown from brian i think it's imperative that the coaches keep their players and their teams focused on themselves and that it's not who we play it's how we play and we got to be who we are so i think you're going to see brian dominate the face-off x i think we're going to see another great game out of gunner walt and I think that Coach Pressler is going to make sure that his team plays from start to finish. And I think they're going to cover six goals versus Sacred Heart. Does the overall goal production get to 22.5? I don't believe it does. Uh, and so I'm going to take Bryant to cover six, but I'm going to take the under 22.5. I, uh, I agree with you on this one. I think Bryant is the best midweek team in the country. I think that Sacred Heart is probably those kids – uh, probably been out a few too many times over the last three weeks. Uh, they pretty much probably <laughs> can the season already. Um, I, I do think that Bryant obviously has the face-off edge, and so therefore I do have them over six, and I do also have the uh, the under on this one. I don't think it gets to 23 goals. I think it stays 22 or under. Number two, Brown, your alma mater versus my unranked, Alma mater of Dartmouth. Oh, yes. In Providence, favored by six and a half goals. The over-under is at 22. Where do you stand on this one? 
Uh, I stand the same place that I do with Albany and Brian. I think that, you know, look, Lars Tiffany is probably the front runner, maybe with Brian Brecht as well, um, for the National Coach of the Year. And given that they stumbled two weeks ago or three weeks ago against Bryant, preceding the lead-up to Yale, um, you know, I, I think that this is going to be a situation where Brown's starters are going to be out of the game after the first half. But I think that they are going to continue to play their style of play, which does not look good for Dartmouth and their style of play. I see Brown dominating the middle of the field. I see, uh, you know, Brown's goalie holding them very, very low. Um, And I see Brown getting up to a huge first-half lead and coasting to an easy six-and-a-half goal cover. And uh, 22, I like the over. I think that Brown is, uh, even with their non-starters in the second half, I just think that Dartmouth is going to be traveling down that Wednesday and, you know, I'd love to see them play a more competitive game, but I just don't think that that's going to happen. I think that Brown is going to cover six and a half easy, and I like the over of 22. I like the over in 22. I do like the over. Uh, you're not going to do it, are you? You're doing it? I see you rubbing your face. Are you going to do it? Oh, Jesus. Uh, I think that my only right. savior is the line. And the fact that Brown is going to play their second rounders. Uh, you aren't going to drink tonight, Lindsay Lohan, are you? No, Mom, I'm not. <laughs> is it going to be different tonight, Paris? It sure is. <laughs> Come on, I got to take Dartmouth. I got to take Dartmouth. And, it, and here the other part is, I just know, uh, unlike, I don't know. I'm taking Dartmouth. I have no other excuse then. I'm just picking, picking Dartmouth. And I'm, by the way, by the way, I did take the victory uh, last week when we typed in it. So we are tied 4-4. Four to four. So this is, a, this is a big week, and I'm not taking this lightly at all. So Dartmouth, get it together and lose by six or less. <laughs> uh, Good luck. Uh, two, two unranked teams getting in on the Lax Vegas Lions action. It's the Patriot League playoffs. Army favored by two and a half on Lehigh. This one is in West Point. Who do you got on this one? Uh, I have to take Army. I just feel that they've proved that they are, you know, a top 20 team in the country. And I think they have a ton to play for. Army needs to win this. Lehigh is not going to, in my opinion, win the Patriot League tournament. Army could. And I just think that given their late loss to Navy a few weeks ago, they got to get past Lehigh, Kevin Cassis is going to have his team ready to play. There's no question about it. But I just think that, uh, you know, Army has too much to play for here. And I just see Army getting it done. You know, do they cover two and a half? I I can see a 13 to 10 victory. Uh, So I'm going to take Army laying two and a half. And I like the over of 20. See, this one's interesting. I'm not liking Army's trend over the last couple of games. Um, Not that I love Lehigh's trend. I think this is a tighter game than two and a half goals. I think Army does still win, but I I just feel like, you know, again, I feel like Lehigh makes it at least a two-goal game. I don't think it's three or more. Um, It's a Wednesday, 
So my thing is, is Lehigh comes in with the advantage in that case. If it was a week-long game prep, I've got that definitely covers for me, or two and a half. But I'm going to take Lehigh there. I am also going to take the. I'm going to take the over on this one. I think it's going to be like a 12-10-ish kind of game. Uh, so I got 22 goals ish there. But I'm going to take the over. You got the under, right, At? Uh, I uh, no, I have the over. You have the over on. 20? I think this. Yep. Uh, two and a half goals. I've got Lehigh covering in this game, potentially even winning it. Bucknell at home versus Holy Cross, the Crusaders from Worcester. Judd Lattimore's group, favorite by three. What do you got here, AT? Well, this is ketchup packets <laughs> for Holy Cross. They've got a head bobber bus trip. Turkey sandwiches. Worcester. Oh, dry turkey. It's gonna be it's gonna wet bread. Ooh. It's gonna be Lays condensation. Potato chips. Everywhere. There's so many. There's so much salt. Just salt everywhere. <laughs> uh, I just, I think this is where it comes to a crashing halt for uh, the Crusaders. You know, they played in regular season at Holy Cross and Bucknell ended up beating them 18 to 12. Um, and I just see, I think it's going to be also a high scoring game. There's just no way that Holy Cross is going to slow down Bucknell. Bucknell's going to win all the faceoffs. And while the Holy Cross goalie is good, I just don't see him being able to hold on for four quarters <laughs> against them. And I see it happening. And I see Bucknell beating them something like 15 to 7, something like that. So I'm going to take Bucknell laying three, and I'm going to take the over at 21 and a half. I have the exact same thing here. I think it's just a little too tough. Uh, I think Holy Cross is riding some serious momentum after their win against BU. But I just don't see Bucknell faltering in this kind of an environment at home. Um, I have Bucknell winning by more than three. And I am going to take the over as well. Both teams can put the ball in the cage. 21 and a half is a little too low uh, for my likes. When we come back, the best part of the show, hashtag AskTowers. Maximize your comfort. Hashtag Ask Towers. AT, we have two questions. Um, both have follow-ups. But Rich Bernasconi is back in to our yes, Rich. Ask Towers questions. This one's pretty funny. I like this one. Who is a better long stick midfielder? Larkin Kemp or Lars Tiffany circa 1990? <laughs> That's not even close. <laughs> That's not even close, right? <laughs> but the good news for Larkin Kemp is that Lars Tiffany is a better lacrosse coach at 47 than Larkin Kemp will be when he's 47. And I don't even care how good of a coach Larkin Kemp ends up becoming. <laughs> but as players, not even close. Larkin Kemp is uh, Larkin Kemp is the best. I didn't see Billy Albert play, but Larkin Kemp is the best long stick midi. Uh, and Brown history. And no offense to my boy Craig Vacris. No offense to Greg Rizicki, who was a stud Hanover kid, oh, nice. Hanover, New Hampshire nice. kid. Um, but, you know, 
few play the game at the level that Larkin Kemp plays it right now. Uh, I, in fact, I think I think Alec, Alec Tullett and Larkin Kemp are right there interchangeably. Yeah. Um, but to answer the question, uh, it's a no-brainer. Larkin Kemp is a much better player than Lars Timothy. But Lars' shorts were worn <laughs> way higher than Larkin Kemp's, and I'm willing to bet uh, my fingers on a chopping block rated, <laughs> that Lars would beat Larkin Kemp in a three-mile run and would do it at 47 wow. right now. Wow. Without even knowing Larkin's ability to run long distances, few could run like Lars Tiffany. He consistently finished third my seven years, the three year, two years that we over, overlapped over there. Uh, of course, the first two were uh, the Monroe brothers, Jamie and Neil Monroe, who routinely would fill up on Taco Maker at 2 a.m. in the morning, only <laughs> to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and win the four-mile run and beat everybody else who didn't hit Taco Maker <laughs> um, that night, which these guys are very, very different type of athletes. But, um, uh, there, to answer your question, Larkin Kemp. No there, there is a slight follow-up to this. Who's the better long-stick midi in their 40s, Lars or Larkin? Um, well, that's interesting. You know, Lars does have... Um, the fact that he's in incredible shape and can run forever at 47, I just don't – it depends on if, – if Larkin Kemp ends up deciding that he's going to make a steady diet of Jack Daniels and Winston Gold filters um, from now – well, let's hope he doesn't – this doesn't start. Let's hope he never starts. But if he does start that diet after he graduates and his skills diminish along the same line – I'm going to say that Lars Tiffany is the better player. <laughs> Joe Saletto's back into the ass towers. Oh, no. The Needham Needler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ask AT <laughs> what he did immediately after getting the game-winning assist to Chris Attic's goal in the state semifinals against Dale Thorpe Brown. <laughs> <laughs> so in high school, I had this Mormon girlfriend. And we were playing Fairfield Prep in the state semis, and our team was our team was great, and and Fairfield Prep had a good team, and we were kind of looking past Fairfield Prep. Um, you know, we had beaten them during the regular season, and we were you know really looking forward to a rematch of the uh, against Wilton, who had beaten us six five in the FCAC championship. And you know, I inverted late in the game, and it was six six, and I looked over to the end zone. There's Pete McConnell, this prick who used to flirt with my Mormon girlfriend. <laughs> and he was hanging out with her in the end zone and kind of had his arm around her. And it was driving me nuts. And I'm inverting during the game. And I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. And it's making me nuts. And the clock's winding down. And there's like, you know, a minute left. And I, I, the Fairfield Prep kid, you know, covered me out too far. And I beat him on a right-to-left split dodge. And they slid. And I threw it inside to Chris Eriks and scored. And immediately the team started celebrating it. I went right over to Cindy Smith and I'm like, get these arm off of you. <laughs> I snapped. It made me snap. Couldn't even enjoy the moment because I was caught up in Pete McConnell moving on to my Mormon girlfriend. You know, that was it. Rock bottom. I, been, I can't believe you brought that up, Joe. Good to see you haven't changed since the last Ask Towers prick. <laughs> That's Chris Eric's. The fact that uh, Auto Text uh, changed it to Addicts, that bummed me out because I know who Eric's is. 
Uh, he does have a follow-up question here. Ask him what Coach Benedict left behind at our Long Meadow game and how he retrieved it. Oh my God, this is this is this is incredible. So Coach Benedict is all-time best guy going and all-time hardest to read. And he had this dog that was this like. <laughs> It was a golden retriever, but it was like a Cro-Magnum golden retriever. So it had, like, lion's mane hair for its whole coat. So it was this huge golden retriever, but it had, like, lion's mane hair, and it was it was huge. So <laughs> we played Long Meadow, which was up in Springfield, about an hour and 40-minute trip from New Canaan. You know, it's and weird. We Long-, Long Meadow is in Massachusetts. Uh, Long Meadow is actually a farther drive in Massachusetts from where I am, right outside of Boston, yeah. than it is for you to drive up from Connecticut. It's the worst it trip. And they're a very good team. Yes. And they were a great team. They had won, you know, many state championships in a row in the, you know, the 80s and late 80s when we played them. And so we would drive up and we would play them, you know, and they'd come down. And so my senior year, we drove up there and Coach Benedict brought Lion. Um, you know, on the bus with us. And we get off the bus to go play Long Meadow, <laughs> and Coach Bennett gets off and ties line to the tree, and we play Long Meadow, and it's a great game. We end up beating them by a couple of goals. We're all fired up. We get the bus. We go home. And as we, you know, are about a mile and a half from New Canaan High School, Coach Bennett goes, hey, Shoemaker. <laughs> hey, this guy, Cliff Shoemaker, who was a senior, funny as hell, um, never played a horrendous player, but very funny guy. He goes, come on up here. And so we're all kind of listening to Coach Bennett because we know anything can come out of his mouth. <laughs> and he goes, throws Shoemaker's keys, and he goes, hey, Shoemaker, I need you to take my truck and drive up and pick up a line in one <laughs> He left the dog. He's tied to the, he's tied to the tree by the field. <laughs> Doug Cliff Shoemaker, we got off the bus, had to take Coach Benedict's red truck and drive an hour and 40 minutes back up to Long Meadow, pick up his dog, and bring him all the way back. I don't think he got home until 10.30 that night. Oh, my God. That is so beautiful. Coach Benedict never, and the best thing about Coach Benedict is he never broke character as he would make a request like that. You know, and, and so, of course, you couldn't crack a smile, but it was like being told by Stephen Wright that you have to go up to Longmeadow, pick up Stephen Wright's dog that he tied to a tree and forgot to load back on the bus for the two-hour trip home after the two-hour trip up. I mean, what a head Oh, my God. That's the show for today. Ah, oh, that's incredible. As always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter at InYourFaceLax. Stay tuned. We got a show later on this week where we got our picks. A lot of tournament action, a lot of big time games. Hang in there until later on this week. Until then, maximize your comfort. Thanks for listening. She called me up at the break of dawn. She said that she's gonna be okay.